Hello, you are receiving a collect call from this podcast. Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, I want to say thank you to everyone who came to Tennessee for PodX or the meetup or both. It was so nice to meet all of you. You're all wonderful human beings. I got to meet Kingsley, the official dog of Potterless, as well as Nora, his lovely mom, and ugh, my heart just exploded with joy. And hey, if seeing me in a live event and meeting me afterwards or before or on a different day sounds good, you should go to see Multitude Live June 21st in Brooklyn. I cannot say the details of the Potterless aspect of the programming, but let's just say that there were so many good ideas for what to do that I have been racking my brain about just trying to pick the third best idea. So don't worry, it's going to be incredible. If you want to get tickets to see Potterless Live, Horse Live, Spirits Live, Join the Party Live, all your favorite multitudes on stage at one time in Brooklyn, New York. Head on over to multitude.production slash live. Tickets have been going pretty fast, and now that it's less than two weeks away, you might not get it, so if you want to go, come through, and also make sure you follow Potterless on social media. I'll be talking about whatever we decide to do for the meetup so I can see your lovely human faces. And speaking of lovely humans, we've new patrons to welcome to the team. So shout out to Wing Ki Choi, Hara Ura Chan, Hi Mom, Kylie Sue, Emma, Lisa Klutz Wayman, Kara Peer, Abby Sis, Nina Tihoen, Rio Maligaya, Tegan Reese, Ashley Archuleta, Heather Folster, Tisha Reed, Christine, Simone, Brandon Cunningham, and Braden Stanier. A pronunciation correction for Hannah Silbaugh. A shout out to Callahan Andares and Christy, who upgraded to the producer level status. And similarly, a shout out to our newest producer level patrons, Lily Leader Williams, Wire Warrior 4976. Floor Sake and Siri Scarsfjord. They join the ranks of Leanne, Vicky, Aaron, Jesse, Natalie, Clow, Frank, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Kieran, Abid, Rosemary, Jill, Marie, Elisa, Romina, Kamel, Russell, Dustin, Audra, Eleanor, Sydney, Billy, Rossanne, Nikita, Taylor, Ali, Amelia, Sean, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Moster, Pinky, Angelina, Ross, Marie, Alex, Brian, Caitlin, Mosin, Grace, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Brianne, Alexandra, John, Jen, Noel, Tao, Emily, Robin, Will, Liz, Mariah, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Teal, Rory, Gloria, Sarah, Patrick, Alicat, Hallie, Veronica, Kevin, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Carlos, Pam, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Naomi, Tyler, Summer, Heather, Vera, Carrie, Andrea, Ella, Anthony, David, Elisa, Lynn, Cameron, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless, Maya, Mark, Polly, Srujan, Brittany, Nita, Tumnus, Remney, Matt, Sarah, Nona, Zena, Emily, Colleen, Harlan, Wouter, Sheldarp, Noelia, Addie, Brian, Washin, Jenny, Nikki, Kara, Dorcas, Courtney, Kine, Amanda, Sabrina, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Marta, Benjamin, Tajinder, Skymart, Sarah, Peter, Yash, Marta, Stephanie, Justine, Aaron, CJ, Eileen, Kate, Violet, Hannah, Kat, Lindsay, Elizabeth, Fielding, Stephanie, Keegan, Miranda, Gail, Mr. Folk, Heather, Adam, Jesus, Christina, Maya, Zachary, Kieran, Ariel, Heaven, and Can't I Potter? Who never try to walk through a subway turnstile without swiping their card, making them ram into the turnstile and looking like a big loser. If you want to be like one of these patrons and get access to bonus episodes, director's commentary, exclusive live streams, my notes, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 80 of Potterless, covering chapter 30 of Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows, guest starring Multitude's own Brandon Grugel. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 27-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the very first... Uh, <laughs> How many times have you done this before, Mike? I've never said 27 before, because oh, the last one I recorded yeah. was the live show. Right. <laughs> Hello, Internet, 
And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 27-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the very first time. My name is Mike Schubert. I am Macaron Man, and I am here joined today by a good old friend of mine, my fellow multitude, Tracy from Join the Party. It's Brandon Grugel. Brandon, how's it going? Hello, hello. I almost did Tracy's voice. I decided <laughs> against it. <laughs> I wish I had the editing stuff. I would put it in, but alas, I do not. <laughs> Beep boop. There, I did it for yeah, everyone. You did the voice. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I'm very happy to have you on for this chapter, which is called The Sacking of Severus Snape, because as I was trying to find guests for the end of the book, uh, chapter 33 is apparently when Snape has his redemption arc. So I messaged you saying like, hey, do you like Snape or not? I'm trying to find people that like him for chapter 33. And you said, fuck Snape with like 12 views. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, ah, want to do chapter 30? (laughs) Look, it's very important to me that everyone knows that Snape sucks. He's so bad. He's not great. And I'm glad that like it's a sign of me having good friends that it's been really hard for me to nail the person down for for chapter 33 is I keep asking people like does anyone like Snape and like pretty much the overwhelming response I get is people saying like I used to when I was young and stupid and now I realize he's awful because he is it's a really good litmus test for your friendship honestly like mm-hmm. if anyone does like whomever you find for that chapter immediately cut them out of your life please uh-huh. yeah the good think- of everyone <laughs> Oh man, we'll we'll see whoever it gets. Come talk to me later, whomever that is, please. <laughs> well, we'll get there, but for now, we're gonna cover chapter 30, the sacking of Severus Snape, which unfortunately doesn't live up to his title. I mean, I guess he like kind of, but like he does I I was yeah. wa- I wanted some sort of scene where he like gets fired. But yeah, there's doesn't... no sacks, there's no firing. It's Mm-mm. it's really truly a misnomer. McGonagall really does take over, even though it's not in name, she definitely takes over in action. And uh I Gosh, this chapter really should have just been called, like, McGonagall is amazing. Yeah. Because that's the basic one-sentence summary of what we're about to discuss. Yeah, I'm so glad that you chose me for this chapter, because I didn't know it but at the time, but when I read it, these are my favorite chapters of, like, any fiction ever. Mm. It's the the build-up, the tension right before the big explosion kind of right, thing, yeah. where the emotions are at their peak, everyone's personality really comes out, you know who you can trust, your loyalties are there. It's wonderful. I don't even care about the battle part <laughs> later. I just nah. want to be here, live for here forever. No, nah, the build-up is the best part, so yeah. let's get into it. Yeah. As we build up the build-up, <laughs> let's actually get into it. So, as you recall in the last chapter it ended with Electo Caro touching her dark mark so we pick up here and once she touches the mark Harry's scar starts to hurt like hell and we do one of these flash presents to Voldemort's vision Voldemort feels excited and says they have the boy and Harry then snaps back to well Voldemort's <laughs> in the room <laughs> he does no unfortunately he's not Harry snaps back to reality oh there goes gravity and then he hears a loud bang Luna had hit Electo with a stun, which created a loud noise. And then Luna follows it up with, that was noisier than I thought it would be. I love Luna so much. She's phenomenal. I don't remember liking her when I read this as a kid. Like, I didn't understand her, Mm -hmm. but... She's my new favorite character of all time. Yeah, book seven's really good for Luna. She has a big glow up over the course of the books from, oh, look, it's the weird girl to, oh, look, it's the best person. Yep. <laughs> like, she really improves quite a bit. And I've heard that part of that was because of the actress, Ivana Lynch, in the films. Yeah. I heard that J.K. Yeah. Rowling and her developed this really strong friendship, and, and that's what kind of sparked Luna to become more of a character than what she is, and that is incredible. Oh, that is, yeah, I never thought about that. She she was, I think, the most, like, maybe not the most, but definitely one of the few characters in the movies that were, like, spot-on, perfect, accurate for that character. Yeah, I think that's why she actually auditioned. She was not into acting, I believe. I've been told that. Mm. I don't think she was an actress at all. She just really liked 
Luna's character in the books and then I do think auditioned. you're right. I remember hearing about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. This will be a deep, deep dive when yeah. I cover that, the movies that she's in. Of course. And obviously when I get her on the podcast, hey, yo, <laughs> I know you're done dancing with the stars of Anna, so <laughs> come talk so about So this is the step Harry lower Potter. than that. <laughs> I mean, we're a very popular podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, before you go on. Yes. I do have a very important thing. Okay, good. Um, did you know that bookcases can tinkle? <laughs> no. Let me read you the slide. She hit the ground so hard that the glass in the bookcases tinkled. Yeah, I imagine like <laughs> tinkling, but you're right. That that in America at least usually <laughs> means pee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also a 12-year-old child, but that's not what it means. <laughs> Is it not even an alternate definition? So according to the web to the web website, the web. The website. The web. The website. <laughs> tinkle can make or cause to make a light clear ringing sound. Oh. So like the glass like rung out. Yeah, I imagine like the tinkling of glasses. Like, hold on, let's get some. Yeah, let's do it. Ooh, beautiful. <laughs> Look at that foley this is work. Trash. We have to move forward. <laughs> That's the first ever foley work on the episode of Pada. <laughs> the one sound designer you've had on there. Yeah. <laughs> I now have to add sound design by Mike Schubert <laughs> to the credits at the end. I love it. Okay, continue. Um, go, go, go. But yes, tinkling. Very funny word. Haha. <laughs> we are both twelve. <laughs> Harry covers them in the cloak as a bunch of now-awoken Ravenclaws flood into the common room. Harry's scar starts to hurt again, and this time he makes the active choice to see what Voldemort is seeing. And this time I think it's very legitimate for him to know exactly where Voldemort is. It's very important to turn on find your friends to know (laughs) Voldemort's location. This is the right choice for him to do this. Harry's my mom and Voldemort is me in this instance. (laughs) Uh, turn off red receipts. <laughs> so Harry sees that Voldemort is deciding to go through the cave because he's convinced it's not going to take that long and he'll go and see whatever the Caros have put Harry into some sort of holding container, right? Now, so Amicus is trying to get in through the door, but he can't answer the riddle, which is where do vanished objects go? And I always like to take a guess at the riddles yes, in the books please. before. I just said away was my <laughs> guess. That's not wrong. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is the theme of the of the Ravenclaw riddles is that you don't actually answer the question. You just say some smart bullshit that's like... <laughs> Yeah, that, uh, mm-hmm, good thinking. Like, you don't actually answer anything. Are we just tearing down Ravenclaw? Like, are we undermining everything I, that they stand for in this podcast right now? They're fine. <laughs> Ravenclaw's fine. They're definitely underrepresented in the books. But think you get back to the dorm from a late night of studying or partying or whatever, and all you want to do is go to sleep, and then you've got some eagle on a door that's like, <laughs> where do vanished objects go? And then you say away, and it's like, not clever enough. Like, And then you kill the eagle. <laughs> I would be so pissed. Like, how often do Ravenclaw students find their fellow classmates sleeping on the ground outside because they couldn't figure out the riddles? Like, I couldn't figure it out, man. I just went to bed. I've been studying calculus for 47 hours. Let me into my dorm. We've got that big arithmetic exam, and I was so tired. I didn't have time to answer some bullshit question about whether the chicken or the egg came first. (laughs) You're right. I did say a math thing. There's no math at Hogwarts. There's only arithmetic, which is kind of math. It's wizard sort of math and physics, I assume, because (laughs) the teacher's name is Professor Vector, and that's a math thing. And as you all know, your last name decides what you teach. That's true. Just lines, though. He just teaches lines. (laughs) It's a very in-depth class. Oh, it's she, by the way. It's a lady. Thank you. How dare you? Septima Vector. I only know this because I have Wikipedia Professor Vector because I need to know more. I'm going to jump out this window real fast. Goodbye. (laughs) Amicus is freaking out because he doesn't want to end up like the Malfoys if Voldemort comes and they don't actually have Harry. 
Harry then hears McGonagall, which, oh man, so excited. And I, at this point, had no idea what I was in for. This Mm. is uh, the start of an amazing McGonagall section in this chapter. So McGonagall asks Amicus what he's trying to do. They have a little bit of a back and forth, and McGonagall reveals that Electo asked to be let in to the common room by Flitwick earlier. So this clearly was some sort of plan that Voldemort had set forth for them. Amicus then calls McGonagall a besom. Do you know what this is? This is my second vocabulary word of the night. Uh-huh. What the hell is a besom? Well, I'm assuming it's British, so we're going to turn to our <laughs> UK correspondent, Dottie James, with a British quandary. And now it is time for British quandaries with UK correspondent, Dottie James. I had to Google this one myself. Apparently a besom is a twig-like broom. The broom made up of bound-up twigs, so... Besom, broom made of twigs. This has been British Quandaries with UK correspondent Dottie James. Wow, thanks, Dottie. We now know what a besom is. Ugh, well, what a mean slash interesting insult that Amicus used. I feel so informed. <laughs> so McGonagall answers the riddle, which is into non-being, which is to say everything. This is the wildest part of this entire chapter. Ridiculous that is answer. nothing. You said nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you just say into non-being, sure, that's a fine answer. Into non-being, which is to say everything. That second clause completely invalidates this answer yeah you are saying that when things vanish they go into non-being which is to say they go into everything i'm sorry non-being sounds like nothing how can something be nothing Nothing. and everything this is some schrodinger cat bullshit (laughs) that i'm very confused by this is why i don't think they teach physics at hogwarts because (laughs) like it's just not accurate to the way the universe is all of the answers on the physics test it's like okay you drop a ball off of a building at 100 feet in the air how long does it take to hit the ground it's like does the ground hit the ball (laughs) (laughs) it's just that's all of the answers to the tests i would hate it i would hate it so much yeah i mean i failed physics in high school anyway so like you know, I'd fail this one too, but it's fine. It's fine. It's See, true. I loved physics. I was a mechanical engineer boy. Oh, no, I loved it. I was just very <laughs> bad at it. It's a fun class. But yeah, maybe that's why there's no wizard engineers is because no one wants to do it because there's no straightforward answers to anything. <laughs> so the door opens, surprisingly, and Amicus yells in fear when he sees Electo because he thinks at first that she is dead. McGonagall assures him that she is only stunned. Amicus goes on to say that they are screwed because Voldemort is under the impression that they have Potter. And at this point, I thought, shouldn't he not be revealing all of this to McGonagall? Yeah, it's like a bad plan. It's like the part in the, you know, in the action movie where the villain straps the good guy down to Mm -hmm. the whatever torture device and then reveals his entire plan. Uh, That's this. Mm -hmm. But, like, stupider. Yeah. I guess it's fine because these people are supposed to be stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it fits. Yes. But it just seems quite foolish to do. Would you say that they are Potterless in this moment? They are Potterless. You're welcome. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) I think that is the first time Potterless has been used as a pun in Potterless. I've won. Goodbye. You get the the rest of the episode by yourself. Oh, man. Amicus then goes on to reveal that Voldemort tipped them off to Harry maybe going to Ravenclaw Tower. So this makes me more excited that the diadem is actually the Horcrux, which is my thought. McGonagall then asks Amicus, what would Harry be doing in Ravenclaw Tower? 
and Harry hears the pride in her voice when she tells off Amico, and his affection for McGonagall gushes up inside of him. McGonagall is the best bro. Right? And yeah. also hard same. I was yeah. very, very proud of her. She's so good. She handles this so cool and calm and collectively, ugh, wonderful. I do have a quick question. Yes. I know I'm interrupting a lot. Please do. It makes the episodes better. <laughs> what did you first think that a diadem was? When you first read it, I asked this on the episode when it first came up. I was imagining it to be like a tiara where it now, doesn't go all the way that? around. When and you were, I thought that because they mentioned it having a gem in oh, the forehead of it. Okay. And also they compare it to looking like the tiara from the wedding, Aunt Muriel's. Sure. I just imagined it being some sort of tiara that would not necessarily go all the way around, come to the middle and then have either one gem or a bunch of gems and then one big one at the forehead, kind of like a beam uh, that mm-hmm. could come out of it if yep. need be. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I hear you. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw you a different curveball here. Okay, cool. Now, I don't know exactly how old I was when I read this book. I wasn't a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think it was like a weird, some weird sex thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> because it's very close to some contraception. That I knew offhand, but did not know what it was. Brand name of contraception or a no, term? No, just a term. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> Do you really want me to say it on yes. your podcast? So there's a, I think that's probably not in use much anymore, uh-huh. but it's called a diaphragm. Oh, I thought that's like a, I thought your diaphragm is like it's where you're your supposed thing. to. Yeah, yes, but it's also a, a form of contraception oh. that I learned as a child, did not understand what it was. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, is this like a British slang term for that? But like, why is that in this book? I don't understand. And then I quickly like figured out like, oh, it must be a crown. Like it has to be some sort of like royal thing. But like. Uh-huh. Forever and always, since I was 12 years old, that's a sex thing. <laughs> How does a diaphragm work? Do, do you want to explain this Please to you? do. I can always edit it if I need to. Okay. So it's like, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's like, I'm going to explain this really poorly, and Please women do. are going to get very mad at me. <laughs> you should probably edit this out. But you know this, like, uh, plastic, like, half ball things that when you flip outside down and put it on a table, it jumps up? Yeah. So it's like that, and you put it, you insert it, in, a woman inserts it, uh-huh. and it protects anything from, it's a barrier. Oh, okay. And then you, like, take it out later. Yeah, that seems like a poor choice. <laughs> I feel, I can see why it's not used a lot anymore. That yeah, seems not so. great. <laughs> and I could be getting that extremely wrong, because I am not a woman. <laughs> if Brandon is wrong, please direct any tweets correcting him to the garbage. <laughs> Brandon you. will look this up. Don't worry. He's got it. <laughs> At the time you're hearing this, he's got it. Look, I've never, I didn't have a sex talk. Please don't, please don't have a sex talk with me on Twitter. I don't need it in my life. Look. Oh, man. I've been holding that idea in since I was like 10, though. How do you feel? I feel great. Good. It's out. It's gone. <laughs> so Amica says that he's going to lie to Voldemort. Uh, did you forget who Voldemort is? You fucking idiot. <laughs> so he's going to lie to Voldemort that the kids ambushed her and forced her to touch the mark. Yeah, that'll work. Amicus then says, couple of kids getting tortured. What's the difference? And McGonagall claps back with, only... I got to go real Scottish here. Good, good. Oh, only the difference and lies. Courage and cowardice then uh, goes on to say you're not going to pass off your many ineptitudes onto the students of Hogwarts I shall not permit it uh, he tries to intimidate her uh, not smart I don't know if you read the books before but McGonagall's <laughs> not going to put it up with that shit and she does not back down the narrator goes on to say quote she looked down at him as if he were something disgusting she found on a lavatory seat yeah what do you think that is 
poop. Hmm. Or, or, as Kelly said when I was reading it, mm-hmm. period juice. Oh, mm. okay. Or, or, pee, or leftover seat uh, butt protector things. Yes. Those still gross me out. Yes. Or, jizz. <laughs> or, <laughs> anything on a seat. Anything at all. Literally anything. Yeah. Cool. Did you have. Uh, no, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm just, just prepping you. <laughs> I'm prompting you. Very proud of you. Yeah, anything on a seat. Not great. Not good at all. He says basically she should do as he says, and then he spits in her face, which... The dumbest thing you could possibly do ever? Not smart, my yeah. dude. Not mm-hmm. a good plan. Harry then pulls off the cloak and says, you shouldn't have done that, and then uses Crucio, which I was not expecting. Yeah. I thought he was going to rip off the cloak <laughs> and then be like, Expelliarmus! <laughs> you do have Harry nailed down to a T a little bit, I think. <laughs> He's very predictable. It's like he rips off a cloak. Hey, stop! Yeah, but I mean, to use Crucio at all, ridiculous. But to use it in front of McGonagall right. is a bold move. So this is a big turning point, I think. So I might be incorrect, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the first time he successfully used an inf- unforgivable curse. It is the only time he successfully used Crucio. Okay. He successfully used Imperio, or at least semi-successfully when they were breaking into Gringotts. Yes. When he was able to control the people. He didn't do a super great job of it, but it was enough to get by. Gotcha. He's tried Crucio twice. Right. And, and it's neither failed both times, of them right? worked. Yeah. And so this is like a really big shift in the moment of mm-hmm. him as an adult and also him in his relationship with McGonagall. Right. And also him within the context of Hogwarts, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. But as no longer a student, as like an outsider coming back into his like home turf and like owning the home turf. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway from this is rather than have a discussion about how intense the unforgivable curses really are because they seem to have really decreased in in value of, oh no, you're not supposed to do them. Everyone should be in jail. Everyone's in jail. (laughs) More so, I think the bigger takeaway is like, this just proves how much he loves McGonagall. Right. Because he couldn't even do a Crucio after he watched Sirius die. Yeah. And he also couldn't do it when he was mad at Snape when he watched Dumbledore die. Mm -hmm. But he sees McGonagall get disrespected and he is able to do it. So that just shows... How much he has grown as a wizard, as a person, but also how strong his relationship with McGonagall is. And it's fantastic. It's genuinely like really, really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a weird way for something to be really beautiful, but like it works, but also, oh, <laughs> it's the contrast in it that makes it beautiful, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, that's why things are always great when you have contrast in food, contrast in whatever. Like you have this contrast of like this horrible thing that Harry's done and mm-hmm. like you are conflicted about who he is as a person, but you also see this wonderful thing that he did at the same time. So it's character growth it's beautiful it's complex it really is (laughs) so amicus gets crumpled up and thrashed into a bookcase which i can only assume starts to tinkle it has to (laughs) and then harry says quote i see what bellatrix meant you need to really mean it so oh no i was gonna make a joke (laughs) what was it mike Uh, i was gonna say i wrote this in my notes i said by the transitive property harry thinks spitting on mcgonagall is worse than killing Sirius, and i for one agree (laughs) which is a stretch but like someone asked me this i think it was either in a live stream or something someone asked me like which character do you think is the most overhyped and I think it's serious. Like, Sirius is great. I think he's very good, and he had a bad upbringing, and I get it. He spent his formative years in jail. But I felt going into the series that I was supposed to, like, absolutely love this dude. And when he died, I just, like, didn't really feel anything. I was surprised because yeah. I didn't think it was going to happen that soon and that quickly. But I don't know, Sirius 
like he's good, but like I don't understand. He's a good person. I don't understand all of the hype. Like I yeah. feel like people like Sirius way more than they like Lupin, and people should like Lupin more. Lupin is the one of the best characters in the yeah, series. He yeah, he objectively does a lot better things. He is such a great teacher. He really molds Harry. Obviously, he has his bit of fault earlier in the seventh book when he wants to ditch his kid and his wife, but that's not but you really that. him. Yeah, yeah, it just shows that he's human. He's so much better. I don't understand why there's such a infatuation with a character who is great but isn't not he's just like not as he doesn't live up to his his hype that i had before i started these books yeah i think it's actually a function of i wonder if it's a function of just jk rowling being a more novice writer at the time when he was introduced so Mm -hmm. like he's a bit of he's definitely a bit of like a like a 2d slate that harry bounces his character development off of as opposed to like being a fully fledged character yeah but he's just like kind of cool right so i think when you were a kid and you're reading them he's like oh yeah he's the cool guy i want to i want to be that that's what it really is because most people read them as children yeah and he's like he's the dad you always want he's like the hot topic of people (laughs) where when you're a teenager and maybe slightly punk gothy like he is you're like yeah serious is cool and then you become 25 and you're like who the fuck would wear that shirt Like Angry Bunny t-shirts, we really wore those. <laughs> and then you go to Harry Potter World and you're like, oh, Sirius is Black Wand? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. It's probably not as good. It's not. But yeah, I feel like Lupin should have more hype. I think you're right. I think this is something where as a kid you'd be like, yeah, Sirius. And when you read it and you go back as an adult, maybe this podcast can help with that. But you go back and you're like, oh, Lupin is definitely the best Marauder. I think, you, I think you're on the right path. And I think the developments with Lupin down the line that you haven't seen yet are going to feel much more earned than okay. Sirius's did. Okay, yeah. good. I think you'll get a nice resolution there. Good. He needs more love. Anyway, McGonagall is shocked that Harry is here. She immediately scolds him for being foolish. Love it. Very true to form for McGonagall. But then she says that it was gallant of him. So Harry cuts right to the chase and says, Professor McGonagall, Voldemort is on his way. And McGonagall begins to ask him what's up. Harry then gets a scar flash to Voldemort, seeing that the locket is gone and being absolutely enraged. So Harry snaps back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. And Harry warns that Voldemort is close and tells McGonagall that he has to find something and it's on Dumbledore's orders. At first, McGonagall has Dumbledore's orders, but then remembers who Dumbledore is and doesn't ask any further questions. She's like, wait a second. All right, yeah, that's very Albus. See, this is what I wonder... If she's at this moment, she's more actually just like trusting Harry or trusting Dumbledore in this moment. I don't know if she knows. I think she's trusting Dumbledore more than anything. Okay. Because why would I you think trust... by the end of the chapter, though, I think it really reveals how much of trust and faith she's putting in Harry. I definitely think that she trusts both of them. But I think if anything, she probably I'm imagining the calculus in her brain, like when it goes to that gif of the person from a beautiful mind, like trying to figure everything out. <laughs> I imagine her being like, wait a second, Dumbledore is dead. Why would he give a task to Harry to not tell anyone? Ah, Dumbledore does that a lot. He's usually right. All right, fine. <laughs> that, that's her order of operations that's that fair. goes that's through fair. in the blink of an eye. So this is also an important moment here because Voldemort officially knows that Harry's going after Horcruxes. Yes. Which is minor for the reader, but massive for Voldemort. Absolutely. Changes huge. the game. He changed his direction completely and he knows exactly where he's going next. Yes. So he suspected it before. Voldemort went back to find the ring and it wasn't there. So then he started to get worried, but he was suspecting that it was something of Dumbledore's doing. And I probably think that Voldemort was just like, oh, this is the most obvious one. But then he goes to the cave and that's where it's really going to be determined if it's happening. If you go to the cave and that one is gone, then really people know what's up. Right. Because, yeah, he has the whole freak out when the ring is gone. He's like, oh, I would have felt it if it was gone. I would have felt it if it was destroyed. I'm so powerful. That's where he calls himself all these, like, weird compliments. He's like, as no one as precious as me. Same. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, this is the point where Voldemort 
knows, oh shit. Yeah. He knows what's up. And I think it changes his motivation and his direction like rapidly. Yeah. It definitely just changes to fuck the other Horcruxes. I got to murder Harry Potter right now. Exactly. (laughs) So Harry warns to get all of the students out because Voldemort only wants him, but he won't care about killing some students along the way. McGonagall says that they will secure the school while he searches. Harry asks, is that possible? And McGonagall says, quote, I think so. We teachers are rather good at magic, you know. (laughs) I love her. She's so good. (laughs) She is so good. She's unsure of how to get the kids out, but Harry suggests the room of requirement. McGonagall says, there's no way that's going to work. We're talking about hundreds of students. And Harry's like, look, Voldemort is not going to care. He's only going to be looking at the boundaries of the school. If we get a bunch of people in the hogshead, they'll be fine. So McGonagall puts the caros in a magic net and tells Harry that they got to go to get the other househeads. She puts her wand in the sky and three cats with spectacles burst out. She does a triple Patronus. So good. Yo. That's nuts. That's a 720. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not correct. You, you, you Can you either, prove it wrong? You yes. You can't. You, yeah, yeah. You would have had to either say 540 or 1080. Oh, shit. I've played almost every Tony Hawk <laughs> now, game, now, hold sir. On. <laughs> it was a 540. You are correct. Yes. But my point still stands. Yeah. It has a lot of points. It's very good. <laughs> So she sends off this triple Patronus, does the 540, and then they move along. The narrator then notes that McGonagall is wearing a tartan dressing gown, and now I know that tartan isn't just plaid. Earlier in an What episode, does this mean? Yeah, so tartan is a traditional Scottish fabric. It's a traditional Scottish pattern that has lots of meaning behind it for Scottish like royalty. It's okay. like really important plaid. It just looks plaid, but it's very important, meaningful plaid. In an old episode of Potterless, tartan came up, it said she vanished in a woof of tartan saying when she like ran away or, or whatever yeah. during the episode I was like what's tartan googling I was like oh it's just plaid and then everyone from Scotland's like you fucking idiot it's not <laughs> just plaid and since then Rachel Guthrie one of the producers of Potter sent me a little notebook that yeah. is tartan on the outside oh, it's a so really sweet. high quality very nice notebook and it's made by some official like Scotland tourism <laughs> board type thing and it has a little thing on the inside that explains why tartan <laughs> is important and it came with like a little leaflet that you can remove that explains like the history of tartan. It's great. That I'm is the most so passive aggressive, amazing gift I've ever heard in my entire life. Was, I love them. Yeah. Rachel's fantastic. She is absolutely phenomenal. And the gift was very good. So now, now you I, too can vanish in a wisp of tartan. tartan. <laughs> so as they walk, they hear the footsteps of someone, and McGonagall asks who it is. And it turns out to be someone who's hiding behind a suit of armor that goes, it is I. <laughs> and it's Snape. Of course it is, right? He's yeah. always hiding behind of suits of armor. But That's where he is, lives. I have so many questions. How big is the armor? How awkwardly... Well, how awkwardly is he hiding behind it? And how long has he been there? <laughs> no, he's standing like perfectly still like a gingerbread man behind it. Uh-huh. It's just like perfectly flat. And 47 years... <laughs> Uh, I guess he like heard them come through the hall and then hid behind it and then no don't give him that much credit like (laughs) still whatever however long he's been hiding he has been running through his brain the thing to say because Snape always has the one liner to say absolutely yeah so he couldn't come up with anything good and just went with it is I (laughs) so Harry is absolutely furious for good reason Snape asks where the caros McGonagall says wherever you told them to go I assume Snape says that he was under the impression that they caught an intruder and McGonagall asks how how would he know that and then 
Snape flexes his forearm and McGonagall goes, Oh, but naturally, you Death Eaters have a private means of communication. I forgot. Uh, she didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> so after a bit of asking why she's up, he just cuts all of the bullshit and asks if she saw Harry Potter. McGonagall starts to like protest a little bit, but then it gets to a point where she just goes to hit him with some sort of nonverbal incantation, a curse of sorts, but Snape is able to put up a shield charm very quickly. Harry was gonna join in on the fight, but his reflection of her attack knocks a torch down and it's gonna fall onto him and Luna, so he has to pull Luna out of the way. This is why wizards are not better than muggles. They should adapt electricity and have overhead <laughs> lights in the school. This is a hazard. They just have torches throughout the school. How annoying must that be to light them all the time? I get they can do it with magic, but still. They, no, they definitely make Filch do it. Like, 100% they do. Like, 1 million percent. Every day and every every morning and every night, he lights and, and puts out the candles. It is a constant fire hazard that they're using as a source of light. Literal fire in the hallways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, like, think about, how, like, the natural light of this. Like, it's really good for, like, Instagrams. and It looks great in the castle. I yeah. get it. The yeah. nice soft lighting bouncing yeah, off the beautiful. stone. But also... Everyone's complexions look great. Oh, I get it. But phones don't work, so they can't have Instagram anyway. It's worthless. <laughs> did you did you notice, by the way, I don't know if this is true, but earlier when um, Amicus uh-huh. tried to get into Ravenclaw, the metaphor to show the sound of it was a gun? Is that the first time they mentioned a gun in this book? I feel like they had to have done it before. But yeah, that is interesting in that you would reference a gun. Yeah, like you're just inviting people to be like, oh, yeah, those things could have solved all of this really quickly. (laughs) These are the same questions that I ask when the characters say, oh, my God. Because yeah, then it just begs the question, is God in the book? Is Jesus a wizard? <laughs> also, please just cut the part where I said God solve things. <laughs> <laughs> we know what you mean. So this is where the fight gets turned up to 11 because McGonagall turns these flames into a fire lasso, which is a move that Dumbledore used in the end of book five. Mm-hmm. But Snape then turns the fire lasso into a giant black snake. But then McGonagall turns the giant black snake into a puff of smoke. And then before Snape can do something, with the puff of smoke turns the smoke into a cloud of daggers that she flings at Snape. Are you fucking kidding me? This is the hypest shit ever. Beautiful. This is unreal. If they don't do this in the movies, I am going to break the Blu-ray disc in half. (laughs) I will be furious. I don't think it's going to solve anything personally. It'll make me feel better. (laughs) So this fight scene what really actually struck me about it was how elegant it is. Mm-hmm. Have you like seen the like the way that it goes from soft to like hard? Feel to, free like, to read it as I don't. Please don't sue us, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I'll just go through the beats, right? So it starts with uh, McGonagall slashing through the air, mm-hmm. um, which is like a really fast motion that's right. stopped by a really sudden motion. Mm-hmm. So like the contrast there. And then you get the fire that is then turned into a lasso. Mm -hmm. So it's like the control of this wild thing Mm -hmm. into a rope, which then turns into a snake. So like, again, another soft thing turning into a hard thing. And then that's blasted to smoke, which is like this beautiful elegance of returning from hard to soft again. And so you imagine like, a nice like while it happens, like yeah. a dramatic all at once. Yeah. And so thing. you and then it flips back and forth, flips back and forth. And then it turns into daggers, which are going to solid object. And then it ends with this giant cacophony of daggers going into this iron. Like the way this is written is gorgeous. It's very good. Like the imagery is beautiful. Oh, you can picture it yeah. right in your brain. And this is why I always say my favorite 
part of the entire book series. I still don't think it's been topped by anything. The fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. It's stunning. Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. And the movie didn't do it any justice at all. Right. And J.K. Rowling really does well at writing fight scenes. Yeah. It's and the, so and they're not like It's not like they're super heavy, full of action, and like everyone's dying. It's like, it's just these like small twists of words that are really elegant and beautiful mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's just picking things that are so nice and picturesque. Another example of the movie falling short and J.K. Rowling killing it in the fourth book when they do the Expelliarmus Avada Kedavra thing that meets and they mm-hmm. get floated off of the ground and they're spinning in the air. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. She's very good at fight scenes. I'm yeah. hyped for the Harry versus Voldemort duel which I can only assume is going to happen. Spoiler, it's terrible. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you mentioned, yes, the daggers then all get flung at Snape. He has to hide behind the suit of armor. It all goes into the breastplate of the armor and then Flitwick and Sprout come in which, huh, time to get fucked, Snape. Uh, <laughs> but then the narrator goes on to say, quote, the enormous Professor Slughorn is panting in the rear. Yeah, not I, great. I don't remember him being being enormous. He's always been large. I guess I was confusing him with the movie actor who is not necessarily in shape, but he's not large by right. any means. Yeah. But I do want to point out that he is wearing emerald green silk pajamas, which <laughs> is like everything I want to attend. Like achieve in life, yeah. To the point where people just accept me wearing these pajamas as natural. Mm-hmm. That's everything I want to be. It's very good, and I like that everyone's pajamas match their personality or whatever they stand for. Yeah. My first thought that this was like, oh, of course he's wearing green pajamas, the Slytherin head of house. Sure, yeah, whatever. But then I thought of myself when I play basketball. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything I own is silk pajamas. Either, I wish <laughs> everything I own is either intentionally blue and orange because it is the New York Knicks' colors or it's blue and orange because I have acquired blue and orange things <laughs> to play basketball in. Chicken so in it the makes situations. sense. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I, yes, a lot of things are Knicks' colors, but like blue and orange is a good color scheme. It's my favorite team. I'm going to wear it. It works. Yeah. It makes sense. They're opposites on the color wheel. They go well together. And that's one of the things where you could make fun of, oh, Slughorn, do you own anything that's not green? But like, if you go to somewhere, whether it's a school, a dorm, a residential college, a frat, a sports team that has good colors, like flaunt it, let it go. And I'm very fortunate that I went to Rice University because I remember when I was, you're a fellow Texas boy. I'm aware you went to Rice. Well, the main thing is when I was- I went to the dumb school. It's chill. UT, right? Yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. (laughs) Very good school. Um, It's no Rice. But here's the thing to make fun of your school. When I was (laughs) applying- the main schools that I was looking at were University of Texas, Texas A&M, Rice, and Georgia Tech mm. were like the big four that I was deciding between. Georgia Tech is navy blue and gold, fine color scheme. Rice is navy blue and gray, great color scheme. Texas A&M is maroon and white. It's maroon and cream. Oh, that's even worse. Yep, it is. <laughs> My brother went there. <laughs> oh, Texas A&M is maroon and cream, and University of Texas is burnt orange mm-hmm. and white. Yep disgusting it's the worst thing i've ever seen absolutely disgusting but here's the great thing about it when you're out in public and you see someone wearing burnt orange no rational human wears that color (laughs) so you know exactly who they are as a human being and you know to avoid them (laughs) (laughs) it's so bad and i just remember i applied to rice and I applied early decision, which would lock me in. I really wanted to go. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I really hope I go to Rice. I don't want to wear maroon or burnt orange for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a major factor. Obviously, there were other factors that made me want to go to Rice more than the other schools. But more than I would like to admit, 
a major factor was like, mm, the colors are so much better than the other schools. That's very valid. It's very fair. No one looks good in burnt orange, especially mm. the paleness that is Brandon. Yeah, and it doesn't look good for me either because I am a tanner white boy because I my heritage is like all sorts of Eastern Europe and I'm tan enough where I like blend into burnt orange. So it doesn't, <laughs> like it doesn't look good. <laughs> like I'm tan enough where it like clashes with my skin and it's a bad look. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> I'm going to get you exclusively UT gear from now on as gifts. Oh, man. I mean, if it's useful, sure. But like clothes, maybe not. It's just going to be jumpsuits. Ooh, good. Yeah. I'll get them dirty. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, good pajamas, Slughorn. You did it. All right, past Mike. Let's take a second here. Why don't you sit down, have a glass of water, take a load off because it's time for Wingardium Adoridosa. <laughs> Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Boosted Boards. Let's say hypothetically that you are the head of Slytherin House and you are helping your fellow heads of house chase after your headmaster who may or may not be evil and you're trying to keep up with them but one, you can't use magic inside the hallways of Hogwarts and two, you can't really run there because you know, you're a little bit bigger and you just can't keep up with Snape. He's just so shifty. What are you going to do to get there quickly and effectively? You're going to use a Boosted Board. Boosted has vehicle-grade electric skateboards and scooters, which are the modern solution to your transportation woes, such as chasing after Snape. They have a 22-mile range, top speeds of 24 miles an hour, making it perfect for both running to Hogsmeade or chasing after Snape. They have five options to choose from, which includes a scooter called the Boosted Rev. So whatever you're looking for, there is a personal electric vehicle that is tailor-made for you. And they start at $61 per month with financing, meaning that it's cheaper than taking the tube everywhere. Boosted Board sent me a board to try out. I tried the stealth board and it was very intense. I did not put it on the highest setting, though I could have if I was feeling especially spicy, but it was great. I used a longboard in college. I really enjoyed it. But if you're using it for commuting purposes, it's not ideal because you get tired and you get sweaty. And if you're trying to go up a hill, that's not happening. If you're trying to go down a hill, you can't stop. The booster board is great. You can use it to accelerate up. You can use it to break if you're going down. You don't have to keep pumping and pedaling over and over again. So you can just kind of chill, look cool. And then vroom, I used it to go on the bike lanes. It was great. I used it on sidewalks and it worked. It was very versatile and made traveling to the Multitudio very simple and fun. And right now, Boosted is offering Potterless listeners $75 off the purchase of an electric vehicle when you use the code Potterless at checkout. So go to BoostedBoards.com, pick whichever board best suits you. Whether it's a longboard, a tinier skateboard that's easier to pick up and go, a scooter, you can go to BoostedBoards.com, use the promo code Potterless, and you will get $75 off your vehicle. So go to BoostedBoards.com, use promo code Potterless, save $75 on a vehicle and catch up to Snape before he jumps out of a window today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally. So if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the market 
Marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are. So it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want. And then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can right get 10% off get, your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. That's a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyway, that's Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Flitwick then shoots a spell, and he says, You'll do no more murder at Hogwarts, which, oh, gripping reality that our last interaction with Snape was him murdering Dumbledore, mm -hmm. at least in the school. We've mm -hmm. seen Snape in other places since, but, ugh, man. This also makes me think, what, how have the day-to-day -day interactions with Snape and the professors been? That's got to be incredibly awkward. Yeah, it's got to be like one of those, like, you know how you have like the passive-aggressive coworker that you don't really like, but you mm -hmm. try, you have to work with, so you just yeah. like sort of duke non it out, mm -hmm. yeah, trudge through, trudge through. Like you, you get little jabs in here and there if mm -hmm. you can, but like over email only because <laughs> it's too scary to do it in person. You know, you know that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> no, I think I think it's just the ultimate situation of the teachers sticking around and i'm pretty sure they even mentioned this in the books is the teachers are sticking around for the benefit of the students because right. they know that bad things are going on and that snape or at least they think snape isn't great and that the death eaters are involved and it's them doubling down being like we really don't like this guy which is further incentive for us to stay yeah so, they have to man but it makes me think like the teacher's lounge at hogwarts has to be super awkward so much tension super awkward <laughs> snape's just microwaving his burrito no snape would be microwaving fish let's be honest <laughs> he would microwave fish and popcorn fish. together <laughs> burnt popcorn and overdone fish oh, love gross. it ugh, ugh. so flitwick's charm brings the suit of armor to life and it starts to attack snape but Snape then sends it flying at our team. They dodge out of the way, and Snape takes off in full flight. So as they're running, Snape ducks into a classroom, and the heads of house enter first, followed by Harry and Luna. When Harry and Luna get in, they hear McGonagall yelling, coward, repeatedly. And when they get in, they see a broken window, and McGonagall says that he jumped. Harry throws off the cloak and says, so he's dead. And Flitwick and Sprout yelp because obviously they had no idea Harry was here. And I just love that detail. I'm so glad J.K. Rowling included it where <laughs> they get to just be like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> 
Where did you come from? I just love Flitwork yelling, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Uh, Anything he does is funny though, so it's cool. He is wonderful. Not great though. Stephen Fry's Flitwick voice. I was listening to the audiobook for part of this, oh, and no. I've mainly been on the team that Stephen Fry is better than Jim Dale. Yeah. I think Jim Dale's performance is more impressive because he does very distinctly different voices. Stephen Fry basically does man parent, woman parent, man kid, and woman kid, and yeah. that's all of his vocal ranges. It makes it a little more challenging to understand who is speaking, but yeah. it makes it a more soothing audiobook experience. Mm. However, his Flitwick voice is very high-pitched and shrill, I guess because Flitwick is short, and it's a little nails on the chalkboardy for me. <laughs> That's really sad, because Flitwick is like one of the coolest, in my opinion, one of the coolest professors He's in the, the school. He's the dueling master. Yeah. He's small but mighty. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and if Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery is canon, his outfit, very on point. He's got a very <laughs> solid plaid game going on. Some tartan? Maybe it's tartan. Who knows? Who knows? Did I say that wrong? You probably did, but <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> who cares? <laughs> Some Direct your tweets into <laughs> the trash. So McGonagall says, no, Snape is not dead because unlike Dumbledore, Snape had a wand and he seems to have learned some tricks from his master. At this point, Harry sees Snape flying off in the distance in a bat-like form. And I just I just want to confirm he didn't literally turn into a bat, right? No, I think he did. Oh, for real? Yeah. I just thought he was so far away that it looked like a bat and he's kind of gross. I cannot confirm or deny this, but I am pretty sure that he is a bat. Like, 100%, he turns into a bat. He's either a vampire or an animagus. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen his Patronus. It could be a bat. Let me find the line. It's very important to <laughs> it me. Says, it says, it doesn't say he literally turned into a bat. It's just like a bat-like figure. Okay, so I get where the confusion is coming from. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you could read it either way. With a tingle of horror, Harry saw in the distance a huge bat-like shape flying through the darkness through the perimeter wall. Now, I interpreted it as, like, Harry doesn't know what's happening and it's far away, so he's like, that could be a bat, but I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But I think it's literally a bat. <laughs> I mean, he What else is, is it? Oh, I mean, he is wearing his traditional cloak. So I guess that flying in the wind could maybe take the form of wings. Or Snape's animagus is not just a bat, but it is a Snape-sized bat. <laughs> that is the funnier thing, and I'm into that. That is now canon. Thank you very much. We have redefined the Harry Potter series here on the Potter's Podcast. <laughs> So Slughorn then catches up and asks what's going on. And McGonagall says, our headmaster is taking a short break, which is perfect. Very the good. narrator clarifies that when she says this, she is, quote, pointing to the Snape-shaped hole in the window. And I laughed out loud when I read this because too. I'm imagining the cartoony Looney Tunes like break like through. sideways thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the freeze frame break through the exact perfect outline of Snape in a very flamboyant jumping pose. 100%. Now, isn't that better if I followed up by him being literally a 10 foot bat? Yes. <laughs> it is now canon that the window perfectly outlined him and then he turned into a giant bat. Yep. This book got weird. <laughs> So Harry then has another flash present, and it's Voldemort leaving the cave. So here's a fun question for you. The little zombie things that are in the water, how do you pronounce that? I gotta find the word. Um, it starts with an I. So I've never said this out loud, genuinely, because okay. I've only ever read it. Right. How would you say it? In my head, it's Inferi. Yeah. I would say Inferi. Okay. Stephen Fry says Inferi. Oh, like, wait, I kind of like, like that. Like Inferi. Inferi. It makes some less... It's like infer with an I, but yeah. 
I don't know. It makes them much more regal. Like they yeah. have like top hats and uh, they are like now monocles. They're fancy zombies. They're fancy zombies. <laughs> also canon. <laughs> <laughs> Harrison asks back to reality. Up there goes gravity. Says that Voldemort is close. McGonagall. <laughs> I am always going to say that. I'm always going to laugh. <laughs> McGonagall then sets the plan into action with the heads of house, and she gets right down to business, not to defeat the Huns, but to defeat Voldemort. She says that they got to set up protections, send the kids home, but then, an amazing detail, she says that for anyone of age who wants to fight, they will give them the opportunity to do so. Fuck yes. 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 This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. And Sprout right away is like, yep, mm -hmm, I agree. Uh, this is why I think she trusts Harry more than Dumbledore at this point, because what mm. she's doing is saying that I am willing to put these people's lives at stake that are of age for you because you have a mission to complete. Right. It doesn't really affect Dumbledore at this point. Yeah, like, totally. Obviously, it's the overarching like Dumbledore's grand plan. Mm-hmm. But like she's saying, I trust that you need to do a thing that you told me you need to do. I know nothing about it, mm-hmm. but I'm so trusting in you that I'm willing to put all these people's lives at stake. Yeah. This is why McGonagall is great. She understands the urgency of the situation and that you cannot take the time to try to ask him what's up or pull Lupin from before where he's like, tell me what's going on. Tell me the details. Bill tried to do that. Lupin tried to do that. McGonagall is just like, all right, let's go. I don't have like no questions asked. Let's just do this. It's amazing. She is so great. It gets better. (gasps) Does it? (laughs) (laughs) So Flitwick immediately starts putting up the protections. Harry asks him if he knows where the diadem is, and Flitwick says that no one in living memory has seen it. Welp. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry thinks, oh, well, if it's not the diadem, what is the Horcrux? When McGonagall finishes explaining the plan, Slughorn shows some hesitation, further proving that he sucks. I don't understand people that think Slughorn is good. He's Wait, people think that? Yes. Okay, cut those people out of your life, too. (laughs) Uh, they're wrong. They're, he's he's not... a celebrity child collector. Mm-hmm. And like, no, he's gross. I don't like him. People come to his defense when I say that all Slytherins are bad. All book Slytherins that we know about are bad. That is the clarification. I understand there's probably some good ones. And I understand real people in real life who are Slytherins, you're not bad. All the book ones you learn about are bad. The Slughorn thing, in addition to things like you said, collecting kids, being weird and gross, this kind of thing, the big deal with Slughorn is that his own pride kept him from telling Dumbledore about Tom Riddle asking about Horcruxes. Dumbledore did eventually catch on to it and started searching on his own, but if Slughorn told him right away, Dumbledore could have started that process however many years earlier and saved a bunch of lives. Right, he's a coward is what he is. Yeah, he's a prideful coward filled with hubris, Mm -hmm. and he's not good. Like, he's not as bad as other Slytherins, but he is not good. Yeah, he's never done anything, like, demonstrably deserving of, like, corporal punishment or something. Sure. Or, like, Azkaban or whatever it is. But, like, as people go, I'm going to pass. Yeah, not, <laughs> not great. Compared to other Slytherins, sure. But yes. compared to a normal person, no, not great. <laughs> so this is just further proof that he is not a good dude. McGonagall tells him off, saying that he and the Slytherins can flee if they want, But if they start to help Voldemort and his cause, she and everyone else will kill them, which is brutal. But, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I think they're saying, like, if you join them, they fight to kill. Like, I don't think it's a threat exactly. Yeah, it's not we're going to kill you, but it's saying, like, we're not going to pull punches on you just because you are students slash teachers at Hogwarts. If you're on Voldemort's side, we're going to treat you the the same same way we we treat the Death Eaters in Voldemort. Yeah. 
And then this line is my favorite line, mm-hmm. maybe of the book. Okay. The time has come for Slytherin House to decide upon its loyalties, interrupted Professor McGonagall. Really good. Ah! Really, so really good. So good. It's very so, good. That's like, I don't know how old McGonagall is, 400 years in the making? <laughs> <laughs> something something like that. Yeah, she's been feeling that for a long time. Oh, so good. It's uh, McGonagall fucking kills it. I, I understand why when I tweeted that I was beginning this chapter, yeah. everyone was like, oh shit. <laughs> because people have told me other chapters are more hype. Uh, just other people are like, oh, this chapter is really intense. This chapter, blah, blah, blah. And 30 didn't really come up a lot. And I now understand that the reason everyone was freaking out is because it's like the best McGonagall chapter. It's the best. Oh, it's and that's so what I'm fantastic. saying. Like, she has no time for bullshit because None. this is the moment right before, you know, the end game scenario mm-hmm. where everyone's tempers are, everyone's emotions and tempers are at the highest point. And she has no time or patience for bullshit anymore. Mm -hmm. And I love it. This chapter is basically like when you watch a show and this happens in Breaking Bad. This happens in a bunch of Netflix shows. But it's not the episode where all the shit goes down. But it's the one where like when it ends and cuts to black, you close your laptop and you're like, oh. (laughs) And then it's 6 a.m. and you're like, I can't possibly do another one. But you do it anyway. And then you call in sick for work the next day because of course you do. I mean, or in the case of Breaking Bad when I'm me in college and you have to wait a week, you're like, (laughs) (laughs) so after this incredible line from McGonagall Filch then comes running in saying that there are students out of their bed and on the flip side Stephen Fry's Filch voice incredible because it's just very like blumbering idiot it's like it's like Professor McGonagall students are awake (laughs) like I'm not exaggerating it's it's like students in the hole students in the hole (laughs) Listeners, you can't see this, but he is like leaning back in his chair in order to accomplish this voice. Well, I'm trying to make sure I don't overblow <laughs> your microphone. <laughs> sure, that's it. No, you were just in, like enveloped in the character. <laughs> I'm channeling my diaphragm, the voice kind. <laughs> so McGonagall snaps back instantly with, they're supposed, I'm sorry. Oh, Harry, they're supposed to be you. Bl- <laughs> they're supposed to be you blither. <laughs> They're supposed to be, you blithering idiot. Do something productive and find peeves. <laughs> so one, I love her even further. But two, I'm imagining peeves being an integral aspect of the great battle that takes place against the Death Eaters when everyone is doing serious spells and he's dropping like ghostly anvils on people and stuff. I'm not allowed to spoil things for yeah, you, right? I, cool. Okay, please don't. I have wondered why people... I think it's pretty common that when people talk about characters that weren't in the movies, a really big clamoring I've seen online is Peeves. And I'm like, what did Peeves do besides throw water balloons at people and mess up the vanishing cabinet and stuff like that? But if Peeves actually does some stuff in the fight, I'm super hyped, especially with McGonagall calling on Peeves. Like, Mm -hmm. this is high praise for Peeves. If McGonagall's (laughs) like, yo, get him. Whoa. (laughs) McGonagall's like secretly a prankster. Like, you know, she is. (laughs) Like, you know, she does some stuff. She does, like, really minor ones. This reminds me of the San Antonio Spurs, a wonderful basketball team. I'm from Texas. I know the Spurs. (laughs) Listeners might not. Listen to Horse, please. It's a very good podcast. It's very good. 
Jeffrey Crater said it's the best basketball podcast out there. He did. He said it's one of the only two good sports, sports podcasts. podcasts yeah. He said there are two good sports podcasts, ESPN's 30 for 30 and Horse. And horse. Uh-huh. That is ridiculous. He was next to me on a panel. I will attest to this. He actually said that. Ridiculous. <laughs> hey, how's it going? It's editing, Mike. If you haven't listened to Horse, my other podcast, the one that's about basketball, but not really. We just talk about player drama, Twitter beefs, uniforms, the fun stuff. I think you should check it out. I'm very biased, but I think it's fantastic. The NBA Finals are going on right now, so there's no better time to listen. And it's just a fun, welcoming podcast where Eric Silver and I talk to you, joke around, and show you that anyone can follow basketball, not just dude bro sports heads. It's a good time. I think you'll enjoy it. So check out Horse. Anyway, here's past Mike talking about Harry Potter or whatever. So the Spurs are a very wholesome team. And there was one point where Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker were playing a prank on Tim Duncan. They were winning the game by a lot of points, so they were all sitting. And Tim Duncan had gotten up to either get a towel or a cup of water or something. And while he was standing up, you see Manu Ginobili have a paper cup, like those Gatorade Mm -hmm. paper cups, has it in his hand hiding behind his leg. And just before Tim Duncan sits down, he like puts it on the seat so that Tim Duncan sits on it. Oh, no. And it was empty, so it's fine. But Tim Duncan like clenches his fists and looks to the sky like, oh, you got me, which makes me think that they've all done this same prank to each other all of the time. But this seems like the kind of thing that McGonagall would do a tiny little prank, like the equivalent of a whoopee cushion, some tiny little thing to to double. Dumbledore when he sits down in the Great Hall. More wholesome than a whoopee cushion, honestly. <laughs> so good. Not even a fart joke. It's just, look at you. You sat it's on the thing. Cup. You sat on a thing that doesn't hurt. You're not supposed to sit on that thing. Yeah, it's really the prank. Is <laughs> you sat on a thing you're not supposed to sit on. <laughs> That's so cute. Look how silly you look. It's wonderful. Just Google Spurs Tim Duncan paper cup prank. It is well worth it. That's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with me. No problem. <laughs> See? Wasn't that fun? That's the kind of stuff we talk about on Horse. I always say that the timing of these episodes is chosen by the god of podcasting because on today's episode of Horse, we talk about the same team, the San Antonio Spurs, starring in commercials run by a local grocery store chain. I'm not exaggerating. This happened. You should check it out on Horse. Anyway, back to your regularly scheduled Potterless. McGonagall then uses the spell Pier Totem Locomotor. Which, from my limited Latin knowledge, I knew that locomotor meant put train. something in motion. Oh, I did no, not. It's not, it's not train. Cool. I mean, that's where the word for train comes from. Cool. So I knew something was going to come to motion. I did not know what pure totem is. Fun fact: it means statues come alive. I mean, <laughs> definitely a new spell, but very welcoming. So the statues and the suits of armor all come to life. I was incredibly hyped when this happens. Mm-hmm, McGonagall mm-hmm. says that Hogwarts is under attack and orders them to fulfill their duty to the school and man the boundaries and protect them oh my goodness we are getting general mcgonagall yes i didn't even think about that Mm -hmm. but this also means that these suits of armor who've that have always been in the Hogwarts have always been there to protect everyone in there. And yeah. without us even knowing, it's like, oh, so it's good. not just decoration. Yeah. I really want to see all of the different statues that it is because obviously suits of armor make sense, but not every statue is going to work. They say that some of them are animals. Yeah. That's hype. Yeah. It's just like anything that's stationary is coming to life. Oh, Again, so I'm really looking forward to the movie doing this. They better do a good job of it because that's got to be nuts. <laughs> McGonagall then tells Harry and Luna to get to the room of requirement, get that whole team together while she gets the rest of the Gryffindors. So Harry and Luna go off and they see a lot of students wearing traveling cloaks over their pajamas. Do you know what this means? Well, they had to evacuate. But traveling cloaks? Yeah, it's like a warm, big outer layer, like a trench coat, but like warmer. Okay, but is it in the shape of... 
I'm imagining cloaks like the things that they wear in the yeah. hallways. Do they have indoor versions and outdoor versions? Absolutely. Uh, are, are you not a fancy boy? I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused by what is and isn't canon of the books and what they actually wear or not and whether or not they wear clothes underneath and whether or not they wear pants underneath or whether or not they just wear shirts and not pants or is Snape just the weird one because of the underwear thing? <laughs> it's so confusing. I'm really, I'm really excited for whenever I interview J.K. Rowling and my questions are like, put out of verse illuminator. <laughs> Do they wear clothes? <laughs> All of the worst questions. Yes. Yeah. You know how you have like your indoor cardigan and your outdoor cardigan? I actually do. Yeah, so do I. I really do. <laughs> Are we the worst? No. Okay. It makes sense. Like I have one that's very thick and is like yarny. Yeah. Like it's very thick yeah. and wool. And then I have one that's a lot thinner and you can like roll up the sleeves of. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. We're on the same page. Yeah, we're on the Good. same page. Hmm. Look at this. <laughs> Cardigans are great. <laughs> And while they're going to the room of requirement, Harry overhears students being like, is that Harry Potter? Whoa, that's Harry. Yo, I knew he would be back, which is great. But he has no time to be like, what's up, guys? Uh, so he gets to the room of requirement and the room has gotten even bigger because it has new additions. It has Kingsley Shacklebolt, Remus Lupin, Oliver Wood, Angelina Johnson, Katie Bell, Alicia Spinette, Bill Weasley, Fleur Delacour, Molly Weasley, Arthur Weasley. And I really thought we were going to get Mad-Eye Moody because I'm not convinced he's dead yet. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not looking good for my theory that he's alive. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Not good at all. I don't know any sports things, but it's the 98 dream team of some random sports team that I... Let's say the Spurs. This is like the 98 dream team of, of the Spurs. The all-star team is really here together. Yeah. And Lupin asks what's up. Harry tells them Voldemort's on his way. we got to defend him. Almost everybody starts to go out and fight. There's a few people left, and amongst them are Molly Weasley and Ginny Weasley, who are arguing back and forth about whether or not Ginny can participate. Molly's argument, obviously, is that Ginny's underage. Ginny's argument is that I'm Ginny Weasley. Ginny makes the claim all of Dumbledore's army is going. Molly says that's just a teenager's gang. And then Fred says it's a teenager's gang that's going to stick it to Voldemort. No one's ever done that before. As this is happening, someone enters the room. And again, I was like, oh, Moody, he's back. But then they note that it's someone with horn rimmed glasses. And I immediately knew it was not. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> I immediately knew that it was not Mad-Eye Moody, but instead Percy Weasley, <laughs> the true villain of the series. There is a very awkward silence that follows. Percy obviously did not anticipate seeing all of his family here. They did not anticipate seeing him here. In order to break this thick, ice-like tension, Fleur turns to Lupin and goes, How's Ted? <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? And Lupin's like, oh, right. Oh, uh, yeah. Here's a baby picture. And it's a baby picture of Ted with turquoise hair, which is great. I love that he is The cutest baby alive, yeah. Very good. I love that he is adopting the metamorph magus situation that Tonks has. He notes that Tonks is home with him, which is good. I'm glad that someone is watching over the child. <laughs> and then Percy interrupts to say, I was a fool. I was an idiot. I was a pompous prat. I was, uh, and then Fred butts in and says, a ministry-loving, family-disowning, power-hungry moron. Give it to me. And then it just says, Percy swallowed, which I'm imagining <laughs> is the biggest mm, that's ever taken place. <laughs> he just, like, fed my soul. Oh. Like, it was truly wonderful. Fred has cemented himself as the better twin here. If you think George is better than Fred, you are wrong. <laughs> if you think George and Fred are equal, you are wrong. Fred is better than George. George is great. Fred is better than George. Oh, so 
good. So incredibly good. I'm proud of Percy, I guess, yeah, for coming what are your, to this realization. What are your thoughts? I mean, cool. <laughs> like, good for you. I get it. I feel a little bit worse about hating him as much when he goes on to explain why it took him so long. He still fucking sucks. But I'm glad he came around. I guess this puts him one step above Umbridge. He's not the worst person in the book anymore. It's now Umbridge. I mean, yeah, that's that's accurate, I think. <laughs> but he's not, like, jumping in my Weasley ranks. He's still definitely at the bottom. But imagine if, like, your sibling was, like, estranged for, like, years and then eventually came back and said, like, yeah, I was completely wrong. I, yeah. Like, I'm glad what do you do? You do what Fred did. I mean, you do what Fred idiot. did. Yeah, you do what Fred did. You, <laughs> tell, you tell him off and then you immediately say it's okay. And, like, I've done this with friends. I have not had to do with family members. So, like, even if someone is the worst, Percy, if they own up to it and they're your family, they're your friends, you just say, okay, chill. Like, you admitted you a, to being the worst. I'm going to get you a burnt orange t-shirt <laughs> with Percy on it. Gosh. Oh, no. After Percy's gulp, Fred says, well, you can't say fairer than that, and holds out his hand to shake, which is a wonderful move by Fred Weasley. He's brilliant. He's a tactical social master. He's perfect. <laughs> he is absolutely perfect. I don't want to lose, before we skip over it, though, uh-huh. these really cool little cute moments. Uh, Luna and Dean mm-hmm. taking each other's hand to leave the room requirement. Yeah. My heart melted. Oh, I'm sad. <laughs> I wanted Luna and Neville to be a thing. I like Luna and Dean, okay. and I get it, because they were tortured and stuff together, and yeah. they got through all of that as a unit, but I really wanted Luna and Neville. I thought that would have been super cute, but I'm not upset. I'm just happy that they're happy. You sure. Know? <laughs> I'm not as happy as I would like to be, but <laughs> I still am happy for them. At least you didn't pick, like, Zacharias Smith or some bullshit. Yeah, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, or Percy. Ugh. Percy then goes on to explain his situation. He says that he has been trying to get out of the ministry recently, but they have not been treating traitors very well, so he was afraid. He then contacted Aberforth, and Aberforth tipped him off about this whole situation, so he came through. George then says, well, we look to our prefects in times of need such as this. And the narrator says, quote, said George in a good Percy impression in his most pompous manner, mm-hmm, <laughs> which love mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. George is good. George gets not there? as good as Fred. <laughs> George says, let's go. And Ginny tries to sneak out with them. But Molly catches her during the whole Ginny versus Molly interaction. Ginny's trying to protest. Molly scolds Fred for even bringing her along. Fred at first is like, yeah, she's in Dumbledore's army, but then thinks, oh, you know, probably not a good idea. Sorry, Ginny. Ginny then looks to Harry, and the narrator notes that this is the first time that they've made eye contact, and Harry shakes his head no, and Ginny gets upset. I've never hated Harry Potter more than in this moment. Oh. What a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. The girl that you are into, that she's into you, and you deny her this, like, literal most important thing in history. That's so shitty. It's also not his call to make. Yeah, like, you just, like, shrug. Just be like, I don't know. That's, that's, yeah, that's what you got to do. Is like, this is between you and your mom, right. not me. Because what right does Harry, who has fought Voldemort in every book, underage every time, like, he's always been underage for everything. Right. And we know that Ginny is a great wizard and is strong and can hold her own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
who where who like where does he come off being like no yeah he's he thinks he's like uh, what were you gonna say? I, I, I mean i don't know that he's being pompous or high and mighty or whatever he's probably just being like it's not worth it so i don't want to be too harsh on harry see i don't know what that is i don't know if it's like i like if i'm worried about your safety so no mm-hmm. or if it's like i you know i am the ruler of the the this fight so no the like way i interpreted it and what i hope it is is harry saying to her just give it up molly's not gonna let you do it that's what i'm hoping that is, is a generous interpretation yeah but then, then, it is generous well in a good way because then mm-hmm. down the line you know he can just sneak her out or whatever it is right i would have i would have gone with shrug but yeah. <laughs> that's just i would have gone with like oh look at that have you ever seen that before for the corner <laughs> And then ran away. (laughs) Uh, So when George says, let's go, and they all try to leave, Ginny tries to sneak out with them. Molly catches her. Lupin suggests that Ginny stay in the room, that she doesn't have to go all the way home, so that she is still in the scene and will know what's going on, but won't be in the fight. Which I thought, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, sure. She's definitely going to stay in the room of requirement, Lupin. Uh, Right. And Molly agrees with this plan. Ginny is obviously going to break out and join the fight, right? Like, there is no doubt in my mind. Yeah, but, like, as a mom, like, and also Mr. Weasley uh, agrees with that. And he's, and very specifically, that's a good idea, said Mr. Weasley firmly. Like, no, it, uh, but you know your daughter better than this. She is a thousand percent going to sneak out. Yeah, but they all know that. So that's the thing. Like, the motherly thing is, like, you have to try to protect your children. And, like, if she didn't try, then she would feel so guilty for the rest of her life if anything ever happened to them. And then Mr. Weasley and Lupin are saying, like, yes, let's appease your mother because there's no way she could live with herself if anything else happened. But Mm -hmm. we know that you're a full-fledged adult and, like, a powerful wizard witch in your own right. So we know you're going to sneak out. So Mm -hmm. this is the compromise that we can have here in this moment. Yeah. Also, what's underage? Is it 17? Under? 17 is the age. So, so she she's is 16? One year, exactly. And she, there's no way she's exactly 16 either, right? <laughs> she's 16 and change. <laughs> That's... Let's round up. Yeah. Like, let's... Let's just let her fight. Come on. <laughs> also, she's one of the best witches. We need her out there. Yeah. More so than Seamus Finnegan. <laughs> Can't even do when Guardian Liviosa. <laughs> What is he going to do? This is like the literal most important battle of history. Mm-hmm. You're going to make her sit this out? Mm-mm. Put Ugh. her in, coach. She's ready to play today. Ginny begrudgingly agrees. And, of course, she's going to get out of there. But Harry then asks where the squad is. And Ginny says that she heard them saying something about a bathroom as Harry left, which has to be the Chamber of Secrets, which was my prediction. I'm very excited to see it come through. <laughs> then we get another flash present, and Harry sees that Voldemort is here. And the way this chapter ends is with Voldemort looking upon the grounds of Hogwarts. The narrator says, quote, he was filled with that cold, cruel sense of purpose that preceded murder. And that is the end of the chapter. Very good. And that is the end of this episode of Potterless. Extremely good. So freaking good. The chapter is almost as good as this episode of Potterless. Ooh, very good episode (laughs) of Potterless. (laughs) Oh my gosh, what a way to end it. Ah, it is so hard. It gets increasingly harder to not continue these chapters. Mm Mm-hmm. But I got to stick to the format of the show. But, oh, man, Brandon, how are you feeling about Chapter 30, McGonagall's Revenge? 
That would have been a better chapter title. So much better. So much better. It's so it, genuinely. It's like my favorite thing in fiction is it's like build up to the thing. I don't even care about the fallout. Like mm-hmm. I love that everyone is at the top of their game. Right. Everyone is not pulling punches. Everyone's saying exactly what they want to say, mm-hmm. need to say, and everyone is excited and hyped to help Harry. Mm-hmm. It's just like the culmination of seven books worth of everything is in this chapter. Yeah. And then we just get like the act five fall down at the end. I'm so stoked. There's so much hype. I love how everyone has just become amplified versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just everyone is them notched up to 11. Everybody's on overdrive. Uh, It's so fantastic. I am very scared for you. (laughs) In terms of what? Just what comes next? next? Uh, (laughs) I don't know, man. It's going to be rough. How do you feel about crying about books? Oh, it might happen, dude. It might happen. I'm terrified of who's going to die. Because I'm not saying anyone's dying or living. I'm not saying I, anyone. I know people are. And now that there's a lot of the kids in the way, i not looking good for some of our friends. <laughs> we're going to lose some characters that we don't care about that much, but we're going to lose people we do know. And we do know we that do Jenny... Love. Is safe in the room of requirement, though, <laughs> for here and forever. She's totally, she just lives, this is my home now. Yeah. <laughs> the enter after the battle is just like French country cottage. I wonder when everyone leaves the room of requirement, what happens? Because it's just Ginny and it's just whatever she needs it to be. Hmm. So is it going to become a bunch of things that she can break with a baseball bat? Like a bunch of glass and vases and <laughs> walls and she just has a sledgehammer and she just takes her anger out? I would love if that happens. I think it just like one, it just turns, everything turns black and it's just one exit sign and it's just one door out. Like that's all she wants, right? That's all she needs. The other thing with the Ginny argument is that at least writing-wise, she gives this very impassioned argument of, you can't make me leave, my family's going to be here, I can't just leave and go home knowing my entire family is fighting. And it was right. this really like powerful monologue. I'm afraid that the movies are going to ruin this, because they always ruin Jenny. I'm afraid she's just going to like go around like tying everyone's shoes, and that's going to be, oh, look, here's the big Ginny moment. Like It's not... Yeah. <sighs> and... I don't think we're the best two people to speak to this, but I think it also this is wonderful, not only like parent-child dynamic, but it's mm-hmm. all this wonderful mother-daughter moment sure. where the mother is trying to come to terms with the fact that her daughter is now an adult human mm-hmm. being and can make her own decisions, but is not dealing with it well. Is struggling with that transition, especially in the moment, in the context of the worst battle this looming of all history. Mm-hmm. And like she's trying everything desperately to keep her child safe, and Jenny mm-hmm. is trying desperately to maintain her personhood, her agency. Yeah, And it's like... They're at odds at so heavily, but they also care for each other so much that it's like this wonderful little encapsulation of a yeah. relationship in a moment. They're both right, which exactly. is, makes it hard. Right. It's hard to choose sides. This is why me and Lauren debating Ginny <laughs> versus Molly at the live show in Seattle was tricky because they're both the best. <laughs> yeah, well, because you were wrong. It's fine. I, I mean, you were the judge. <laughs> We don't know how qualified you were. <laughs> no, Molly's very good. That's fair. They're both very, very good. Well, speaking of very, very good, Brandon, you are very, very good. Hey, thank, thank you. Thank you so much for being on thank this episode you. of Potterless. You want to talk to the friends about joining the party? Which, yeah. at the time of recording, I will be on the next episode of? Yeah, you Ooh. will. Yeah. yeah. Mike is very good on the show. So if you don't care about me or Eric or Amanda, <laughs> Mike's on it. The for next one for, for one, one episode, episode. Like, and I was on the live show, so I've been on two. I've been yeah. on three because I was the book that one time. That's true. You are <laughs> lying in the book. Yeah, 
Uh, if you like uh, storytelling in a collaborative sense with like rich fiction and fun jokes and uh, sound design and music and stuff like that, then uh, you might like join the party. It's very good. Brandon does an amazing job as Tracy, the lovable Warforged robot. and Not a robot. <laughs> okay, Janet from The Good Place. Uh, <laughs> but Brandon also edits it to chef's kiss perfection. The sound editing is incredible. It's basically like an audio drama and a real play podcast had a mixed race love child and it's joined the party (laughs) and it's really good and the sound editing is very, you feel like you're there. It's great. Thank you. It's some good stuff so I recommend everyone go listen to it. Not just the episodes I'm in even though those are objectively the best. (laughs) You'll be very confused about every element of storytelling but But you'll really like Mike's jokes. really funny. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, you can check that out anywhere just by searching Join the Party or Multitude anywhere. It's all mm-hmm. there too. But Brandon, mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining listeners. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before slapping Percy in the face for being a big old prat, wizard on! That was good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like pretty pictures? Do you like jokes? Do you ever wonder what I look like? What my face looks as opposed to this super sultry voice you get to hear on a weekly basis? Well, you should follow Potterless on Instagram. I post behind the scenes pictures, Potterless memes, and photos of my face. All you need to do is go to Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. Sound designed by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Leanne Davis, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Klaus Serlopu, Frank Chioto, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfelio, Karen Webb, Abita Med, Rosemary Dodge, Jill Boulay, Maria Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadonier, Camille Doc, Russell Dunk, Dustin Bolin Cooch, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Sydney Cawthorn, Billy Hinton, Rossanne Batamana, Nikita Power, Taylor Armstead, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sean Montag, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orca Gore, Vivian, the Owl, Takari, Ron, Haley Hastings, Moster, Pinky Pan, Angelina Wither, Rosemary Heise, Alex Bisholta, Brian Williams, Caitlin Sullivan, Mosin Siddiqui, Grace Riggles, Raul Pineda, Ingan Odstadter, Mari Wynn, Brian Wingate, Alexandra Consulver, John Kotker, Jen and Juice, Noel Basile, Tao, Emily Tyrell, Robin Fernandez, Will Barrington, Liz Bigelow, Mariah Noah, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Enslin, Claire Spencer, Teal, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillum, Sarah and Patrick Donovan, Alicat29, Hallie Bowen, Veronica Bartova, Kevin Harnoy, Lotta Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Carlos Nino, Pam Webb, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lufrid, AJ Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Tyler Latra, Summer Rathal, Heather Fleischman, Vera Cullitham, Carrie D. Bagason, Andrea Crock, Elisa Grieven, Lynn Walker, Cameron Watkins, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Srujan Thanbegupta, Brittany Gutierrez, Nita Atabani, Tumnus Moran, Remy Fontaine, Mats Furley, Sarah Shecker, Nona VM, Zina Rosnowski, Emily Tilly, Colleen Mage, Harlan Haskins, Wouter Vandermaiden, Sheldarp, Noelia, Addy, Brian, Washington Large, Jenny Campione, Nikki Harris, Kara Hamilton, Dorcas, Courtney Hemwood, Kine Roan, Amanda Alfred, Sabrina, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Plackey, Martha Madueno, Benjamin Desmond, Tajinder Chumber, Skymart Six, Sarah Shedder, Peter Vostinak, Yash Patel, Marta Morrison, Stephanie Magnuson, Justine Wade, Aaron Richter, CJ Ochoco, Eileen Jesh, Kate L. Dobbs, Violet Sullivan, Hannah Suzanne Gormley, Kat Yowell, Lindsay Towning, Elizabeth Agathon, Fielding Lee, Stephanie Hoford, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Heather McMillan, Adam Bryant, Jesus Aguilar, Christina Welton, Maya, Zachary Davis, Kieran, Ariel Rigdon, Heaven, Callahan Enderes, Christy, Lily Leader Williams, Wire Warrior 4976, Floor Sake, Sierra Skarsford, and Can't I Potter? Web designed by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campamanis. If you want to find Potterless on social media, you can do so at Facebook.com slash Potterless, Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, or Reddit.com slash R slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can head on over to PotterlessPodcast.com, and for bonus content, you can go to Patreon.com slash Potterless. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on!